Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number seven. I'm Dan Holtzman, your host, and today I'll be talking with great up-and-coming young juggler, and by young juggler I mean I hate him. No, I don't hate him. He's a, a great guy, and he was nice enough to sit down and talk with me in the studio via Skype, but I was sitting down. Uh, Michael Karras. So we'll get to his conversation with me in just a second. Now, a lot of times people use the word juggler to refer to, uh, metaphorically, to someone who has a lot of different activities or projects going on, a lot of different irons in the fire. But in this case, it really does fit because Michael has lots of different things going on, different uh, partnerships with both Jan Slaw and also with Playing by Air, and a very thriving solo career. We also talk about what juggling is like on the East Coast, being a West Coast guy. I was very interested in knowing what the East Coast scene is like. Also, uh, what it's like to go from acting to juggling. He went sort of a theatrical route, so we'll talk about that as well. But before we get to the podcast, let's talk about our sponsors. Starting off with the International Juggling Association, IJA. You can find out about them at juggle.org. They are the place to join the juggling community. They hold an annual festival that's been going on for, oh my God, hundreds and hundreds of years. Or at least 65, I'm not sure. But great organization, I am life member number 84. And I got my professional start by coming up through the IJA. A new sponsor this week is Al Plotkin. Al Plotkin is a videographer who does all of my promotional videos. He also uh, is a videographer that documents a lot of great festivals around the world, including the Edmonton Street Performer Festival, and also has produced some great memorial videos on performers like Red Rider. He also has one called The Life of Mr. String. So go to his uh, website at festivalvideos.tripod.com to check out the videos he's already made, and perhaps he can make a promotional video for you to further your juggling career. So check out Al Plotkin at festivalvideos.tripod.com. Now sit back, pour yourself a cold or hot beverage, not in between because that would just be lukewarm and nobody wants that. Sit back and enjoy this podcast with a fantastic creative, wonderful, Michael Karras. Michael Karras. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, thanks. Now, I think of you as an East Coast juggler. I'm on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what's the scene out there like in the East Coast? Do you have a club that you go to? Yeah, the, the New York City Juggling Club uh, has been really consistent over the years. Um, the, the Carmine Street Irregulars, as they're known, they sort of meet in a gym uh, down on the lower west side of Manhattan. Uh, but recently, we've had this really cool thing happening, which is called the Bryant Park Jugglers. And it's funny, it sort of started out as businessmen who want to just do something active at lunch. So it's a club that meets actually five days a week during lunch hour. And then they've recently expanded it to be on Saturday and Tuesday nights. So, you know, it's an outdoor club, so I wouldn't call it hardcore juggling, but it's really good for sort of getting juggling out into the mainstream. It's like it's on 42nd Street, so you can't get more central than that. Now, when I went to the Carmine Group, I remember they had a nice tradition. They would go out to dinner afterwards. I think we went to a Chinese place. Mm-hmm. They still do that? They do, as far as I know. It's been a while since I've been to the Carmine Street Club. To be honest with you, after a while, I found that going out to pizza or Chinese was more fun than the club itself. Uh, well, uh, only think, because... Uh, well, go ahead. Oh, only because the gym was very... Um, I just never felt quite welcome there. You know, you have to sign up. They're very strict about putting your stuff in in a locker, getting an ID card. You have to share the court with basketball players, and it, I don't know. It just sort of became sort of like, well, I don't. We don't feel very wanted here. So, 
like I said, I can't speak for it now because I haven't been there in a while, but it just seemed like a lot of hassle for only like two hours of juggling, which isn't very long. Yeah, I thought it seemed real busy. As I remember, you kind of walk up some some stairs and there's a lot of activities and you got to kind of go through. I think they, they give you a body search, a body cavity search, as I remember. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that was before your time, but, but yeah, it's, it's also kind of weird, like juggling uh, get togethers. Like juggling is a social activity, but unless you're passing, it's kind of like you're pricing together in a group with other people. You sort of get what yeah. I, it's like when you go to a convention and everybody's sort of standing around juggling. It's a kind of a strange thing. We're all in the same place. We're all doing an individual activity. Right. And and there is something a little bit strange about that. But I feel there's a sort of weird osmosis that occurs where even if you have a bunch of solo jugglers juggling in a gym, they kind of riff off of each other, even if it's even if it's subconsciously. And uh, and I can often feel like I get better in a, in an hour or two of practice around other jugglers than simply by myself. If nothing for the fact that you're getting ideas from other jugglers by watching them. And there's just, you know, there's sort of like a good um, training energy in the room. You know, it feels sometimes like that's why you're practicing. Like you might have some tricks where you're like, okay, this won't be appreciated anywhere else except for like a convention. So if I go on the convention floor and I show these tricks off, this is at least a place where it makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I always felt like inspired by seeing the other jugglers and always going like, oh, this is why I practice because I want to be a part of this group and right. hold my own. Like if my seven balls or five clubs, whether I don't do them a show or not, at least by doing them here sort of shows a certain level of juggling accomplishment for, to my mm -hmm. peers. Yeah. And it really gets you to practice things that you, you might not otherwise practice. You know, if someone, if you haven't been working on seven balls very much recently, but there's two or three jugglers that just sort of go into a jam session in a corner, you're like, you know what, I might bust that out again, and maybe these guys will. I mean, at the Bryant Park Club, for example, they're having sort of a very informal seven-ball race to 100. You know, so there's just like four or five guys that are just very uh, casually trying to see who can make it to 100 first, and you have to get it on video. So it's it's friendly competition. So are you counting both hands, like, like uh, 50 from one hand being 100 type of thing? Exactly, yeah. Right. No, I think, I think maybe my best was around 100. We're talking maybe uh, when I was 19, so I think that's like 60 or 70 years ago. But I, I used to do a lot of six, uh, seven balls and five clubs. But I found that maintaining those over the years was was too too much trouble for something I wasn't using. Mm -hmm. Now you say you haven't been to the club a lot, but uh, I imagine that's because you're so busy. I always admire the fact that you're a juggler who seems to have his finger in lots of different projects. Could mm -hmm. you give us a, a kind of an overview of the the different groups and projects you're working on? Sure. So I would say, first and foremost, I make most of my income from solo juggling. Um, so I, you know, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, but I moved to New York to be an actor. That didn't quite work out in the sense that I just didn't like the, the daily grind of auditioning. So I turned to juggling and sort of just started up in sort of the burlesque scene in New York, which is, is funny. Like, there isn't a variety circuit per se, uh, if there ever was in New York. I mean, I know at one point, Keith Nelson had the Bindlestiff um, Palace of Variety, which was before my time. But uh, there, isn't, there isn't truly a sort of off-off-Broadway variety scene except through the burlesque circuit. So basically, um, dancing girls sort of get people in the door, dancing right. girls and booze. And then oftentimes half the show is jugglers, magicians, and ventriloquists to sort of break up 
what could be the monotony of dancing women. Right. So so it's kind of cool. You know, I started off in this sort of like underground, lower east side. You know, there's a bunch of cool little venues that do this sort of thing. And, uh, and they do it sometimes four or five nights a week. And uh, they get a nice little crowd. And it's a good place. It's just sort of work on your chops, make a little bit of money, working on your juggling act in terrible lighting. <laughs> in a situation like that, would you perform mostly a musical routine or a talking routine? Yeah, usually a musical routine. Um, they're looking for like three to five minutes and usually two acts per night. So I have about six of those, you know, like two ball acts, two ring acts, two club acts, and maybe like my puppet act. Right. Um, so I sort of started on that. <clears throat> and then, you know, New York City is just a huge event capital. So while the, the variety nights are nice to sort of supplement your income, it's the big money comes from, as with most cities and, and places, the sort of one-off corporate events, launch parties, uh, various things like that. Uh, but, you know, there's also, of course, your weddings, your your sweet 16s, that sort of thing do, as well. Do you find yourself doing a lot of atmosphere juggling, or is it something where you're, you're contracted for stage performance? What type of uh, one-offs are you talking about? Sure. Um, when I first moved to New York, New York, it was definitely a lot of atmosphere because I really hadn't worked on a show yet. And then after a while, I started kind of doing some kid shows and slowly developing like a 20, 30-minute solo show. And, and definitely now I'm focusing much more on booking shows as opposed to strolling just because it's something that I enjoy more. I feel like you get more bang for your buck. And uh, then I'm Michael Karras as opposed to a juggler. <laughs> right, a moving purse of, a piece of furniture or exactly. <laughs> a poster come to life. I, I do some atmosphere stuff and sometimes it can be fun and sometimes it can be kind of uh, soul crushing. When you realize people would rather not see you than see you. Like, oh, there's juggling. Let me make sure I avoid that <laughs> completely. But right. uh, Especially in New York because they feel like most people who are entertaining are looking for tips, for example. And a lot right. of people are. Like a lot of balloon twisters do often walk around at places for free, I've discovered, and just rely on tips. So if people are used to that sort of, oh, no, a balloon artist is making me a balloon and wants a dollar, they're scared jugglers want the same sort of thing but is there any never, kind of a street scene out there in new york um, uh, any pitches that you work or, or you know people work out there yeah um i've actually never uh, street performed i've literally street performed once it was with marcus monroe and it was simply for for kicks and giggles in the uh in the new york city subways just to say i did it once um so, so there's a scene actually juggling in the subways very rarely. <laughs> there's a there's a program called Music Under New York, the Muni program, and I believe there's one juggler in that program, but I rarely, if ever, see juggler street performing. It's much more of a uh, sort of hip-hop dance scene. Right. Yeah. So maybe you could team up with a, a live musician. You might have some success, but to stand out there juggling by itself would probably not go over so well. Yeah, most likely. I actually did apply for the Muni program once with a violinist. Um, we called ourselves Catchy, but it didn't work out because they were scared that the props would roll onto the tracks. <laughs> well, that's that's a real concern. Uh, I remember uh, there used to be a gig in Atlantic City where they'd have jugglers in the lobby, and there was quite a well-known juggler who, who would work on a freestanding ladder. Uh, he went on to have a lot of success uh, working with cats in a okay. cat circus. Oh. So the, the, I think I know who that is. The yeah. knowledge of people could figure it out. But he would be kind of droppy. And they were really worried because of the possibility of hitting people mm -hmm. uh, who are walking around the lobby. So certainly juggling 
compared to maybe magic or something, has that bit of risk where mm-hmm. pa- passerbys, especially ones who are oblivious to what's going on, could be struck by clubs or, or other objects. Right. And certainly rolling onto the tracks would be a, a certain hazard of the subway juggler. Yeah, of the subway juggler. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't use clubs for the audition. I just used balls and rings, but I think even rings worried them. So, I mean, if I had any interest in doing it again, I'd probably just use beanbags. But I spoke to a guy who did get booked. He was like a steel drummer, and he said the money is is negligible. It's just for tips then? Yeah, exactly. It's just for tips. The only nice thing is you do get a banner so that uh, police don't bother you. Right, right. Yeah, in general, New York has a fairly terrible street scene. Uh, and it's really sort of unfortunate. There are a lot of talented people here and they're kind of all mostly under the radar. And and police do have the authority here basically to just sort of say move on. I think legally they don't, but in all practicality they kind of do. Who are your contemporaries out there in the New York scene? Contemporaries? Like what other jugglers do you run out to? Other professionals are out there working and who you run into or maybe see around sure. at the possible gigs or, or get-togethers? Right. Um, well, certainly Jen Slaw is out here doing great stuff. Kyle Peterson is a, a great juggler and unicyclist. Paris used to be here, awesome friend of mine, but he mm-hmm. since moved to Boston. And Sean Blue, uh, I know he travels around a lot, but he's sort of anchored here a lot. And uh, recently Kyle Driggs has been here because he's doing a show called Queen of the Night, which is fantastic. But he's sort of you know booked solid through that show. So he'll gig a little bit, but um, he's mostly- Isn't uh, Marcus Monroe out there as well? Yeah, Marcus Monroe is out here. I don't see him much because I'm pretty sure he does a ton of cruise ships. But yeah, he's certainly out here. Uh, Vivica is out here doing her thing. Sky is out here, although she's mostly DJing these days, as far as I know. Now, uh, yeah, Marcus has his own podcast as well. He does a lot more variety performers and, and actors and other types of, of entertainment. Mm-hmm. But we'll put up a link to his uh, podcast as well because I've heard, I think, Jay Gilligan on it and uh, mm-hmm. Kyle Driggs. So mm-hmm. other people, people who might be interested in other podcasts, we'll make sure we have a link uh, to his. And hopefully someday I can... Talk to him. I only worked with him once at uh, Comedy and Magic Club, but I liked what he was doing. Great, great guy, and I have enjoyed listening to his podcast. Now, um, when I think about jugglers, for people who maybe don't uh, know your work particularly, now I've, I've made a list here where I've broken juggling down into seven different types of juggling. And the last one is what I consider you. So maybe let's go through these and let me know if you think this is a pretty good list of all the different types of, of jugglers there can be. So number one, I have technical juggling. Okay. And that would be kind of your your Anthony Gatos, your Sergei Ignatovs, sort of the straightforward uh, jugglers to music, which I would is consider different. Go ahead. Mostly working in circuses. Yeah, or or review shows like a Paul Ponce, right. right? Or even Tai Tojo nowadays. Yeah, Tai Tojo would be a great example yeah. of. You know, certainly there is artistic elements. Certainly there are comic elements. Uh, but it's really sort of a straightforward juggling to music, kind of the old school Chris Cremo, Francis yeah. Brunn where basically you specialize in sort of a flash act, I guess they used to call it. And I guess that would be like eight minutes, 12 minutes. Uh, Albert Lucas might have been a, a great example of a straightforward technical act. Then I have artistic juggling, which I think of as more like your Victor Key of Vladic, where there's a combination of a lot more dance elements. Uh, yeah, like, you know, if Cirque du Soleil is looking to fill their Dralion slot, they're looking for an artistic juggling act, yeah. Right, right. So a lot more, like I said, a lot more emphasis on on movement, a lot more emphasis on perhaps costuming, uh, relating to the music. And certainly there's a lot of crossover between all these categories because it's hard to be artistic without being having some technical merit as well. 
then I have your comedy jugglers. Now, would you consider yourself a comedy juggler when you do your your solo performing when you speak? Or I would. I would group myself into that category, um, which might surprise some people if they haven't heard from me in a while. But I do do a lot of like resort shows nowadays, simply because you know that's in the USA. That's where the money is, and if you want to be a professional juggler in this country, it does help to have a uh, marketable personality, as they say. So um, I've been doing a lot of resort shows and like family style shows where I do um, like 45 to 60 minutes with, I would say more juggling than the average comedy juggler. But certainly to fill that time, you do need to bring up audience members, have them interact with your with your juggling in some way that makes people laugh and uh, extends your performance. So you, you intermix uh, musical routines with, with talking routines. Exactly. Yeah. In, in my sort of solo 45 to 60 minute show, I would say I do probably like four to five musical routines and then I intersperse that with about three to four audience bits. But sometimes even during the musical routines, I'll keep my microphone on and, you know, relate to the crowd, explaining certain tricks and so forth. That's kind of new because I think before, like there was a whole group of comedy jugglers who would never do routines to music. Like they thought it broke up the flow too much to all of a sudden. I know me and Barry never thought of doing like, now we're going to stop the comedy and do a two or three minute piece to music. But then there was like Mark Neiser seemed to get away with that. And then Ivan Passell. And it seems a lot more common to see a, a, a comedy juggler also have enough technique to pull off routines to music as well. Yeah. I, th I think the reason why it's an up and coming thing is because you have a lot of people like me who started out as a hobbyist in high school, in college, getting a ton of skill I, Josh Horton comes to mind as well. And then you get out into the real world and you want to uh, do this full time and you realize that people um, want, uh, if you want the big money, you have to do a longer show. So uh, you don't want to quote unquote sell out. So you keep those uh, technical musical routines, but you intersperse them with the, the thing that's going to be a bit more appeasing to audiences. Now you said resort juggling. That's not really a term that we use out here. What type of resorts are you referring to? Well, like there are some resort. There are a lot of resorts in upstate New York. So basically, places where families sort of staycation. You know, they're they're sort of from around the area, but maybe they don't want to pay up to go all the way to the West Coast or all the way to Florida. So they'll just sort of go to a a resort for hmm. a weekend or up to a week. And while they're at these resorts, there's a bunch in Pennsylvania as well. They have magicians and jugglers as sort of the evening entertainment. So I would compare it to a, a landlocked cruise. Okay. You know, everything is inclusive of, uh, of their stay there, but they're not floating around on the water. And would that be something you would do several times a month or is it more, is it steadier than that? Um, yeah, it's about several times a month. Right now I do it like three to four times a month and like cruise ships, you're expected to do two shows a night. Right. Two, two, two of the same show. So it's for two, two different audiences. Exactly. And you're saying between 45 and 60 minutes. Yeah, exactly. That's a good lesson for up-and-coming jugglers, the fact that in order to have a career as a juggler, for mostly in the United States, the idea of doing your own show, of being that evening's entertainment, is very important. There's less shows where you become part of the overall package nowadays. Where in Vegas, when like when I was starting out and go, would go see acts in Vegas... You'd have six or seven acts working the strip who are part of what they called review shows, which I guess is is, is like burlesque because it was you'd have yeah. your topless dancers. Right. And, and you had a host. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not always a host, but they, the acts would really be filling time while they were changing scenery or changing costumes. Okay. And so uh, like Will, Will Rogers Follies type of thing. 
Well, there was never any story. It was really just basically production numbers and variety acts. Okay. Like Lido de Paris, Follies Brigitte, those kind of big shows. And they were kind of really pushed out of Vegas by more of your show shows. Right. Like your Blue Man Group, your Cirque du Soleil, your Jersey Boys. But when I was 17, I remember I went to Vegas. I saw seven jugglers in one trip. That's incredible. Yeah, we went, we saw Chris Cremo at the Lido. We saw Albert Lucas at the Hacienda. We saw Nino Fradiani. We saw Armando, who I don't know what happened to him, but he did six clubs in his, in his show. And he did the first wow. one I saw, the Duke Boomerang Hats. Cool. Uh, there was always jugglers at uh, Circus Circus. Uh, so, but that whole, that whole sort of idea of doing a eight minute act for your whole career unless I guess you're on the European variety circuit, is not really the new school way of approaching juggling. Yeah, and I, and I think for young jugglers looking to make it, I would certainly say that you can you can do that. Like you can keep, and that was very important to me. And a lot of people after my show will say, oh, you know, we've seen a few jugglers here, but they're all talk, 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 talk. We appreciate that you were funny, but you also had a lot of actual juggling to do. Well, um, it's one thing to to juggle to music. It's another thing to juggle to music entertainingly. Mm-hmm, and right. I think one one skill you have really strongly, and we'll talk a bit when we get about to, to, to sort of your origins, is your theatrical background. Because when I see mm-hmm. you juggle, there's a lot of emphasis on communicating to the audience through the juggling, which I think is very important to make that connection. But we'll get to that when we talk about how you get started and stuff like that. All right, let's go through this list a little bit more. So we, have, we were talking about comedy jugglers. For number four, I have architectural juggling, Ooh. which is this idea that I think maybe started with Michael Motion in the triangle, where you're adding sort of a, a, an outside element and combining that with the juggling, like the cone comes to mind, mm-hmm. uh, Greg yeah, yeah. Kennedy. And I would say Jay Gilligan experimented a lot with that. Yeah, definitely. And so that's certainly something that is sort of also another newer element that people seem to have... Um, combined with juggling that when we started before the triangle, like maybe you'd bounce the ball off the wall or you'd throw the ball under the table so it would bounce back to you. And so I thought that's its own, almost its own category, architectural juggling. So that's yeah, a- no, that's a really, in- oh, I seem to be repeating a little bit. Um, okay. That is a, that's okay. I just heard my echo in the, oh. in the for a second. Um, that is a really interesting category that I never thought about, but you're right. It's sort of a category where people are sort of sticking with the same props for the most part. You know, you've right. got balls, clubs, and rings, but they're building apparatuses, if that's the word, apparati, on which to <laughs> juggle them. Yeah, um, well, the yeah I mean, I saw recently is the magnetic clubs. I think his name was Emil Dahl. Yeah, definitely. And he had uh, he used the magnetic clubs with, like, steel poles. Yeah, genius. Yeah, it was great. And maybe we'll try to uh, put a link to that as well. So people can check that out. It's Emil Dahl. So that's the architectural juggling. Yeah. Now you've experimented and, uh, with some of that. One of my favorites, uh, he, I believe he was in Pittsburgh at the European Showcase, was uh, uh, Jorg Mueller, Jorg Mueller mm-hmm. who, who does the swinging pipes that are attached to the ceiling. That's another that's his own thing. category because like say, same like you have that routine you do with the, with the pipes that are on like, what do you call that? Like, um, you know, it's, it's, you have it in oh, front like, of you. Yeah, the pipes on the sort of pendulum. Right. Where it's sort of the set, like you were talking before, where it's like, I think architectural is taking like the same prop, like okay. a ball, and then adding it to some outside element uh, that you use architecturally to combine it with the juggling technique. Okay. There might be yeah, another yeah, yeah. category where you have like the swinging pendulums, where right, you create a, a, a new prop to manipulate in a juggling fashion. Like I okay. know I've seen Greg Kennedy do yeah. bowls. 
mm-hmm. or those interlocking. Uh, who was it? Eric Aberg with the ghost boxes. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll have to. Uh, I'll have to modify this list. I like then I, that. Then I have uh, interactive juggling, which I think is to me is the future of juggling. So if anybody is interested in what I think is the future, it's uh, there was a routine I saw called Torque Starter, a Japanese juggler. I don't know his name, but we'll try to once again make a link to it, okay. where he's interacting with a video screen, and right he's doing a Diablo routine, and, it, and he's, he has programmed images that occur behind him that seem to be reacting to the juggling. Hmm. And I find that a lot of possibilities there for sure in the future. Mm-hmm. There's been people who have done stuff with video screens. I know uh, Matt Henry has sort of uh, juggled with himself, so to speak, by having a video projection of himself. Uh, I think there was a juggler behind it, and he'd be passing with himself. Right. Yep. A- Alan Jacobs years ago did a routine where he juggled with his shadow. Once again, this was way. Be- this was probably 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Where he'd come out and you'd see his shadow behind him and he'd be juggling and it looked like his shadow behind him was just occurring because the lights projected on him. But then he'd realize that it was totally separate from what he was doing. And then he started interacting with the shadow juggling. Wow. So I think that's a, a real futuristic type of juggling that we'll see more and more of. Mm-hmm. And then eventually uh, we'll see holograms. <laughs> People will be juggling using holographic technology. Well, I was going to say, eventually, I think uh, you could take interactive to a whole other level and have the audience actually influencing the juggling in real time. Whether that means they can text the color of the ball they want hmm. or something, or right. somehow you use a, an app to change what's happening. It would be great juggle. if they could if they could tweeting, shock you if you tickets. dropped. What's that? If you dropped, they would shock you. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. That might be a good comedy idea. Maybe we'll. Uh, right, right. If you, I'll have to copyright that as I'm speaking about it. But the idea right. every, that every time you drop, you get a, sh- a shock collar. There's like an invisible fence <laughs> if you have to bend over. <laughs> like a shock collar. I like that. And if you were to drop, then you know a certain amount of voltage would go through your your body. Mm-hmm. But I call that interactive juggling. Then I have, I guess, this is part of of technical juggling, but I think it's its own category. We're sports juggling where you have juggling as a part of a sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like this combat juggling. And what are your feelings about combat? Mine are, are fairly negative. Mine are also, well, mine aren't negative about uh, combat itself. I personally don't like playing combat ever. I've played it a few times, and I think I'm just an unlucky person. I've always gotten injured or injured someone else. Yeah, the first time or- I played, I got hit in the wrist fairly yeah. quickly. And it's just, I just kind of see like when people see it, this idea of, oh, it's juggling and I'm going to knock the things out of your hand. To me, it's like roller derby. It's the Mm -hmm. roller derby of juggling. Right. Once again, if someone wants to do it, if juggling could become more mainstream through what the WJF is doing and through uh, combat juggling, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing or it will detract from other types of juggling. It's just a weird image, I think, for juggling. Yeah, I mean, me personally, I'm an extreme pacifist. I'm a very laid-back person. So anything that involves like trying to beat other people up or make people drop is just not really fun for me. I do enjoy watching it, and uh, and I do remember Jason came up with this thing called zombie combat, where even if you dropped, you were still in the game. You were just frozen, so that it was it became a lot more strategic. Mm-hmm. So so if I drop one club, I'm frozen with two clubs. 
But if I'm near someone who they want to knock out, it's a team thing. Someone can, a team member can throw me one of their clubs. Reactivate um, you. I'm back in the game. Reactivate. So I thought that was creative and a little bit more, I mean, it didn't take a genius to come up with combat. I mean, combat can be played with anything, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, we'll see where it, where it goes to. It's one of those things that certainly I won't take part in because like I say, I'm not really interested in people swinging things at me. Yeah. So it's not going to be something for me. Yeah. But I'd be and interested the thing, see- al- the thing that always bothers me is when, when they bring it back into the games, like when games take too long and they just say, okay, we're going to do five ball combat now, or we're going to do club balance combat. <laughs> mm, oh, right, right. It sort of influences other things. I'm not a big fan when it sort of takes over the gym scene and you have the, you know, everybody doing the, the sort of the rhythmical pounding of the clubs. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's become this huge sort of mosh pit of <laughs> jugglers. But maybe that's just me. You know, so once again, the, my old school sensibilities are coming out like, oh, these darn kids, but they're they're combat yeah. juggling. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I've all, I've had old school sensibilities since I was 17. So I, I feel you now th- that we kind of get to where. And well, speaking of sports juggling, have you ever competed? I don't remember if you've ever competed in the, the championships or not. IGA of IGA. I did compete once in 2006. I got a bronze medal that was in Portland. Completely unexpected. It was I feel like it was easy to compete back then because there were literally no expectations of what I could do. It was just like, hey, why not? I was in high school still, so I had lots of free time, and I had done some of the individual prop competitions uh, that you had created, and that seemed to go pretty well, and I did the Big Spider Beck competition. That went well, so I figured the next logical step was uh, competing in the stage competitions. Um, It was the first year that they had video submissions, so I was... I was a little bit braver because I, I honestly was very frightened of a live audition at the time. So uh, I, I'll be the first to admit that I taped my audition video probably 20 times until I got the best take and then submitted it. Uh, but luckily I had, I had an on night and uh, came away with the bronze, which you know I was very thankful for. I'm pretty but, sure uh, I judged that year. So okay. I, I might have had my hand in there. Uh, the thing about the competitions, and this was one reason I tried to help them institute a different judging system, well, it was very variable on what year you competed. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly, like this year, I didn't go, but the the top three acts, it seemed like one was like a ball juggling act, and I think one, and then Tom Wall came in third just doing a, a, a mouth stick act where there was like three tosses of juggling. So right. it just seemed like in some years, you know, getting breaking the top three would have been super difficult. Oh, yeah. And other years, just by showing up maybe uh, and not going overtime, Right. And not dropping too much, you could you could walk away with a medal, which is why I think having a scoring system where you have an overall score, which can be compared to performers in different years, is a very useful idea. Like if Gatto wins with an 8,000 and, and you win <laughs> the score of 4,800, you both won, but it's sort of like a racer going, well, the, he won the 100-yard the dash in 10 seconds and this other guy won in 20 seconds. Uh-huh. There's right. still a comparison between years. So, so that's, a, that's a totally different system that you've proposed? Well, I proposed it years ago. I think they, they oh. use some of that now. I don't know if they really make a big deal about the ultimate scores. But I think there was a, a time, I forget what year it was, maybe eight or nine years ago, where I put in a proposal and they adopted a lot of the, the ideas I implemented in this proposal of having these different mm-hmm. categories and, once again, having scores. Yeah, so that's so I mean, different things could be compared. Yeah, I, I think it's it's just such a having watched many competitions at the IJA. It's so it's you know, it's 
it's a theatrical competition at some level. Of course, there's a technical aspect to it, but there's a lot of subjectivity and, and trying to compare year to year sounds like a good idea, but I think it's just sort of like an impossible uh, job. And yeah, like you said, it's a lot of it comes down to luck. A lot of it comes down to, you know, how much you've prepped. But yeah, I mean, the winner this year was was incredibly fun to watch. He only did three balls, though. And I'm not saying that's bad. I mean, it was it was an awesome, fun sort well, of... Well, it should uh, come down to being a juggling competition as opposed to a talent contest. And sometimes I feel like it's too much of a talent contest. And so, but it's hard. It's I think that's one reason why I instituted the, yeah. the individual prop category competitions, which I believe they've done away with now. Uh, yeah, those are no longer there. Yeah, I felt that that could have gone somewhere, but I never maybe put enough effort into myself, and the IJ never put enough effort into it either. But the idea well, of like your three and balls, I mean I I ran it for two years, and, right. and my issue with it is that the competitors didn't put in any real thought right, to it. Right. So that was, you know, if, if people are just going to say, uh, hey, or I'm going to pick a song and I'll just improvise and hopefully win. Another it's problem was people would take parts of their, the idea wasn't like you do the same routine in this thing, then you go and do it on the, in the stage competitions. Right, right. And people would just take part of their act from the stage competitions yeah. and repeat it. Yeah. So let's, let's I remember there's like a, yeah. Don't, I won't blame you or me. Let's blame the other jugglers for this for the the lack of success yeah. of the individual prop competitions. Yeah. Since they're not here, it's their fault. Yeah. Exactly. So that comes to our last category, and you kind of uh, touched upon it, which I would call theatrical juggling, which I kind of put you in that category, where especially with some of the routines, and and the one specifically I would come to mind would be the juggling with the puppet, mm-hmm. where it's more of what I would call a theatrical piece, and. Uh, so yeah, let's talk- I mean, I, I get a lot of my inspiration from, like, sort of silent clown or physical comedy. And, and so I, I think when you're, when you're trying to classify yourself, if you want to classify yourself as a certain type of juggler, you want to look at what makes you happy. You know, in a perfect world where you are given an unlimited budget to do your own solo show or, or what have you, what do you want to do? What do you want to fill that up with? What brings you happiness? So to me, that does involve not performing on the street with the wind and the sun and the crowds that are standing it's performing in a nice theater with with nice lighting and uh and and doing something that doesn't involve a lot of wisecracking and and puns and and jokes it's more of a it's i don't want it to be avant-garde i don't want it to be something that people can't connect to but i do want it to be something that is clever witty fun it's something that piques people's curiosity and does make them smile and laugh ultimately now the thing is talking about theatrical juggling Let's talk a little bit about your background, because I think, like myself, you came through more of a theater. I could see you doing more like being an actor or a musical theater guy who got into juggling, mm-hmm. which is not Very usually the, the usual direction, I don't think. So where did you start and, and where did you uh, grow up and how, what were your first influences in juggling? So I grew up in Pittsburgh um, and I, just sort of as a kid, my mom was very involved in theater. She taught the choir at our church, so she had sort of a singing background. And then my dad, he was a lawyer, but he had done some drumming in the past. So it was sort of like a pretty artistic family. They both went to the theater. So like from a very young age, um, as, oppo- as opposed to going to baseball games every weekend, we'd go, go see theater productions. So I saw a lot of children's theater. You know, we'd go to Renaissance festivals. And then as I got older, like we'd go, my parents had subs- subscriptions to the local theaters. So, and from a very young age, like they, they did, they signed me up for gymnastics, sports. 
zoo classes, uh, acting classes. They really just kind of threw everything at the wall to see what would stick. And I really couldn't stand the sports, which is funny because I make my living with balls now. But, yeah, I just never had a real sensibility for the sort of team sports mentality. Um, I always sort of felt like if you weren't the, the top contributor, it just wasn't worth it for me. Um, I really enjoyed sort of being a leader and having a little bit more control, I guess, over what happened. So um, I really loved uh, the acting classes. Puppet I got into puppetry from a young age. So then, like, middle school and high school came around, and they started signing me up for dance classes and theater classes and, uh, and singing classes. So I kind of like I kind of did that for a while, and I went to a middle school for the performing arts. Kind of got out of it for a while in high school when I was people were telling me like, oh, you know, the arts are great, but you can't necessarily make a living at it. So I kind of went into like computers for a while in high school, but then ultimately I had uh, this incredible experience in 2001, which is called the Governor's School for the Arts, where um, I basically went for five weeks and just focused on theater. And, and really just sort of felt like this was my calling. So ultimately, I kind of ditched the computer route and went into my bachelor's degree for acting. Where did you go to school for your bachelor's degree? At Point Park University. It's a, like a small liberal arts college in Pittsburgh. It wasn't my top choice, um, but I think ultimately it was the best choice. I had tried out for a lot of like really prestigious schools in New York, like Juilliard and NYU, and uh, I tried out for Boston University in Boston, DePaul in Chicago, all these sort of like actor schools that if I had gotten into one of them, I would have had like street cred among my fellow actors in Pittsburgh. But ultimately, they cost an arm and a leg, and I saved so much money by going to Point Park, which still is a very uh, well-respected school. Uh, it just it didn't have that sort of you know going away feel, which I was really looking forward to, like going to a new city for college. But graduating from a cheaper school with still a good bachelor of fine arts degree and little to no debt was the best possible way to start adult life. <laughs> and when did uh, when did juggling come into the mix? Juggling actually came into the mix through theater. I was in a production of Christmas Carol when I was eleven and uh, had sort of a small role. It's called The Turkey Boy. Uh, so I, I was too tall for Tiny Tim, but The Turkey Boy is like the kid who gets the turkey for Scrooge at the end of oh, the okay. show. All right. Um, you know, he has a small little like bit role. So it was a very small part. So I had a lot of free time, and one of the guys in the show knew how to juggle three balls. And I remember, I'll never forget, they were like these gold-colored uh, bean bags. And, and I just, I remember practicing with terrible technique backstage, like what jugglers call the shoveling technique. Where you kind of juggle from like, the back your arms to the front. like back towards you, kind of thing. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, give me, the, balls give me. Are, the balls are coming towards you. I got you. Yeah, the shovel. I don't. Technique. Yeah, I don't know how I ever broke that technique, but um, that's sort of how I learned. And I found a video. It's on YouTube actually from 1995 of like my first time juggling for the camera, and it's just so funny watching it because it's just a throwaway. It's like, look, mom, what I learned. And my mom's like, oh, cool, that's awesome, good job, Michael. All right, back to opening presents. So it was it. Christmas morning. But watching it, it's like, whoa. It's really rare that you have footage of sort of like this this origin moment of what will eventually become your career. Now, when you started juggling at 11, did it kind of immediately 
take root as like, now I, I'm going to juggle or be a juggler and, and became a regular activity for you? F funny enough, no, it really didn't. I mean, I had done some juggling. I had done some magic. So I don't think I was aware of it, but I definitely had this sort of this connection to the variety arts. Um, and I did love, I remember the few times we went to the circus really enjoying myself, but I never really thought, oh, I want to be a juggler or I want to be a magician. I enjoyed all that. And I remember enjoying things like Stomp and Blue Man Group way more than like 42nd Street and Cabaret. But it really didn't click, honestly, until like maybe halfway through college uh, because I was so I was so in this acting mode, which most people don't know me from. But I had done like 50 productions at the local community theater. I had done professional theater. And only like in the last few years of college, when I started getting into the, the national and international scene, going to IJAs and, and so forth, did I sort of realize, wow, I'm, I'm better than the average juggler. And holy cow, most of these jugglers are extremely shy and have no theatrical sensibilities. So well, maybe how, there is... How did you get to a convention? Because you're saying it just was sort of a, sort of a, a hobby... What what took you to one of these national conventions then? I mean, I think it was the internet was a big part of it. I started uh, when I went to governor's school. That was a huge turning point. At in two thousand one, when I went to that summer camp to study theater, there was also a, a guy there who who had a Dubai like backpack or a Dubai thing. Okay. And I I recognized that. I'm like Dubai. Isn't that a juggling company? He's like, yeah, I, I juggle. You know, I brought three balls. He was just a hobbyist. And I remember he took me back to his room. And this, again, this is before, like, YouTube, this is before the internet. He showed me live the Mills Mess and the Robot. And these are, you know, right. simple three-ball tricks. But, I mean, you just you have to understand, before HD video, seeing that uh, live in front of my eyes, it literally just sort of, like, a, reawoken something in me. It was magical. And, I mean, I, again, I knew how to juggle three balls, but I had never seen the sort of manipulation and shape-shifting of three balls. Mm-hmm. And I kind of spent the rest of the summer camp just like obsessively looking up uh, juggling simulators and learning every trick. Because back then, again, videos too slow. So you would just look up these little line drawing, moving line drawing simulators and learning tricks. Well, back in my day, we didn't have any simulators. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so but so the Internet starts coming into play. You meet, you meet All right. So guy. then the Internet is sort of what made me learn about the IJA. And then it was in Reading, Pennsylvania, I think in 2002. So, you know, was I was in Pittsburgh. your first IGA then? Was it was 2002? It was, yeah. And and it actually wasn't my full first full convention. We just went for the free day oh, okay. <laughs> on Monday. Right. But I, I do remember seeing Jason Garfield, who at that point to me was like the Mick Jagger of juggling. I mean, to me, it's like, well, you'll, you're never going to meet Jason Garfield because he's the most famous juggler, him right. and Anthony Gatto. Um, that's sort of what I figured with, with what was online at the time. So when I saw this sort of like bald guy in the corner juggling five club back crosses, I, I remember I leaned over to a guy, I think it was Neil Fred, and I was like, that guy looks like Jason Garfield. And he's like, that is Jason Garfield, which to myself now is, well, duh, like, you know, right, jugglers right. are not a pretentious group. And like, we're the most famous jugglers regularly can come to conventions. But at the time... It was this moment of like, whoa, it, this world is so small and so accessible that you can just sort of meet these, what I considered the, like the, the juggling idols at the time. Uh, they're just there in the gym practicing. So then one I of the best things about juggling, I think, is that accessibility to, there really are no jugglers who hold themselves apart. Or if they do, that would sort of be looked at like, hey, you're, you're still just a juggler. 
you can get over yourself a little bit. Right, right, know? exactly, exactly. So then I took a year off, and 2004 was like my first week-long convention. What, where, which one was that in 2004? Uh, that was Buffalo. Buffalo. Yeah. Okay. I, I they think kind of that might have been the first. Year, that might have been the first year you did individual prop. I'm not sure. I gotta but, say uh, they all kind of blend together into one IGA really? in my. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I, maybe I went to Buffalo, but I have no individual recollection of Buffalo. So Okay, okay. Uh, I think the first year I maybe did it, oh gosh, I don't even know. I should probably interview myself one day to <laughs> things I've forgotten. So when you went to Buffalo, this is your first full convention. Mm-hmm. Is is the idea now of be, being a juggler kind of taking root like something, like being a professional juggler? Is that an idea in your mind? I'd say still not, not at all. Probably not until I sort of get out into the real world and realize that I have to pay the bills. Yeah, it's still just, it's still just completely soaking up every possible uh, workshop. You know, I'm just starting to figure out what my style is. I did like a three ball routine and a three club routine for the individual prop, but you know, I'm just, just sort of trying to figure it out, trying to combine dance a little bit because I'm in dance classes at the time. And uh, yeah, crazy like two years later I competed but yeah at the time it was really just sort of like figuring out this brave new world and and meeting as many people as possible so when did you get your first professional job as a juggler well if we define professional as someone paid you money to juggle (laughs) okay you know probably at some point during high school like maybe my senior year I do remember doing like a Halloween party for $25 where I juggled some like baby pumpkins and eyeballs you know fake eyeballs or something and that was fun Uh, but again it was sort of this like well I can juggle so right I guess I'll offer my services or my mom would be like oh hey can you juggle at the the church fair on Friday okay I guess yeah sure but it it absolutely didn't cross my mind that this is where I was heading it was like well I'm gonna move to New York to be a professional actor and having juggling on my resume will be great but it was never right. the opposite, which is I'm going to be a professional juggler and having acting and dancing on my resume is a, is a plus, you know, kind of did a 180. So what so where was this evolution take place from from hobby juggler, theatrical background? You got mm-hmm. 25 bucks. And by the way, who books that gig? Just so I'll, I'll know for the future. Uh, yeah, let's let's talk uh, after the. <laughs> OK, show. we'll talk after it's a good the show. gig. It's steady, steady money every year. Well, 25 <laughs> bucks, you know, hey, I'm not too proud. So, OK, so then let's just so what would you consider your first like? contract or gig where you're like, oh, this is real money and right, something right. maybe I can do. Okay. So that was definitely in 2007. I had just graduated from Point Park with, with my Bachelor of Fine Arts. And uh, we go to New York to do like a showcase for agents. Not many people show up. I do like two monologues and a song, you know, the typical stuff. Uh, not too many people show up. I certainly don't get any bites. And I, I feel like I get sort of my first kick in the pants of this business ain't easy. Yeah, welcome to acting, yeah. Yeah, it's like, welcome to New York City, mofo. Like, good <laughs> freaking luck. You know, everyone is 21 years old, wide-eyed, and hungry for Broadway. Yeah, don't let the door hit you on the way out there. Exactly. So, but I had luckily auditioned, like, in early 2007 with this company called RWS & Associates, who does amusement park entertainment. And they were looking for, of course, musical theater singers, but also they wanted like a, a strolling, roaming act who could walk around the park and entertain folks. So I brought in my juggling stuff. And at that time, I was good. You know, I could do five balls. I could do like four clubs, a little bit of five clubs. Like I had 
a solid 20 to 30 minute show if they needed it. I'd say my sort of comedy talking chops were definitely not up to par yet, but you know, I could fill a show with, with uh, juggling and not drop too much. So I auditioned and they, they liked my act. They sort of put this ice cream man uh, package around it. And for the entire summer of 2007, I rode around a park, an amusement park in Connecticut on a little bike with a sound system, dressed up as an ice cream man. And I, uh, I did the show called Smiling Sam, the Ice Cream Man. Okay. And uh, it was incredibly corny, but it, it was my first sort of like grind. And in right. many ways, I would say my first and last grind, because we're talking five shows a day, six days a week for the entire summer. That's great training. My, my first professional job, I'd say at 17 or 18, was uh, a summer at Six Flags Magic Mountain in Valencia. I did mm-hmm. eight half an hour, so eight half an hour spots, eight hours a day, half an hour on, half an hour off. For the whole summer, they weren't really shows. I did a lot of what they called line relief, you know, okay. where, where you would camp out by the big roller coaster, and as people yeah. walked by you, you would entertain them while they were in line. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of hiding. I remember, where because <laughs> they never really kept track of me, so it's kind of like, right. okay, you're on. You're, you, and there was a big park, so there'd be times where my half an hour would come up, and I'd be like, oh, god, so I'd be back behind hiding behind somewhere reading when my half an hour. Yeah. But. For, so once again, for people coming up, there's quite a few guys who have, at a certain point in time, did like Hosh and Bosh in Japan or an amusement park, mm-hmm. where they're really getting comfortable by doing tons and tons of, of juggling in front of people. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting type of gig because it's when you're young and not as greedy and right. don't charge as much. So, I mean, I think I was getting like 500, 500 a week, Yeah, I got 80 terrible. a day. I got ten dollars an hour. I got eighty bucks a day. Yeah, which it's like at the end of the summer, like okay, that adds up a little bit, especially if you don't have many expenses. But I mean, like nowadays living in New York, that's ridiculous. Like I right. can't afford to do that much work for that little pay at all. But that being said, when you're young and you have like sort of the time and the the stupidity to take a gig like that, you're actually smart because you end up with these chops that kind of make. Uh, certain tricks autopilot like I can definitely tell even in my performing nowadays like there are some tricks like I think Ivan was talking about this with his his ring kick uh trick right you you just know you're gonna get them like there are just certain tricks they don't even feel like juggling because they're literally a hundred percent solid I feel that way with the with the four ball shower bounce like it's one of those tricks in my routine where I'm like I don't even feel like I'm doing anything I don't even feel like I'm juggling right like my body just sort of is just doing it with no, I could, you know, the amount of actual mind control is maybe 5% or something. Yeah, exactly. So your body just gets a feel by doing that, doing it that many times. Exactly. And, and then when you try, you know, at, at my, at the stage in my career now, like if I want to add a new trick in, it's really hard because almost all of my gigs are pretty high pressure situations. You know, if I want to add in a new trick, it's like, well, I can't do it at this gig because I can't drop. Well, I can't do it at this gig. When you're doing five shows a day, you're just at like outside. Yeah. You know, no one really, let's be honest, no one really cares. It's just sort of like hot and sweaty and you just try stuff and and you messed it up for about four shows and then you get it. And and by the end of the summer, it's solid. So I, as much as I quiver at, at doing a gig like that nowadays, I I do sort of miss the ability 
to almost have a throwaway show where you're just like, all right, this is show three of five today. Right. I'll just sort of phone it in. But by phoning it in, you sort of get this like autopilot juggling skill that really helps you down the line. So we're talking 2007, you do the entire summer. Mm-hmm. Is this the point where it becomes, like you say, more juggling as a juggling actor than an actor who juggles? I'd still say not quite. Then it's like during the summer of 2007, I get a call that someone is looking for an actor who can juggle. I'm like, you're kidding me. This is perfect. It's a company out of Massachusetts called Food Play that I ended up working for for about a year. And they kind of were like the perfect dream job, again, after this amusement park, because they toured the Northeast doing theatrical shows about nutrition in schools that combined juggling. So it was like amazing. I was acting, I was juggling, and I was sort of touring. So again, not doing as many shows at the amusement park. I was I was like weaning myself off of the grind, but still doing like 10 to 15 shows a week and also keeping my acting chops up. Now that's still out there. I, I think people are still auditioning yeah. for food play. Yeah, that's we'll a, put a link that's up a for that job. as well for the young jugglers who are uh, trying to get their, their foot in the door. Food play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's it's still a great job, and I'm still actually I'm going up there in about a week to train their next set of jugglers. Oh, nice, nice. Um, so I'm it's a great company. It definitely I'll be honest, like aside from juggling wise, it it did make me a better eater, like a healthier eater. So it was a overall great experience. So okay, so let's uh let's sort of we have about another maybe five ten minutes. Let's kind of bring it up to the current time. Yeah, we're, we try to keep them around an hour, an hour ten yeah. or something. The the podcast. Now you've gone through these two ex- these two very formative experiences, like you say, the amusement park, mm-hmm. where you're doing just tons of shows, and then now finally you're inside, you're touring, you're combining the juggling with acting, mm-hmm. and uh, you finish that experience, and then what leads us to where we are today? Sure. Um, so then after that, I was actually ready to sign on for another tour, but they were like, wisely, Michael, you've done a great job, you're overqualified for this, go do something riskier. Right. And I was like, you know, I needed that kick in the pants because it's it's really tempting to be like, I'll just keep this job. I'll just keep doing this. But uh, yeah, then I moved to New York and I had one more summer, 2009, where I went back to Pittsburgh and did three shows a day at Kennywood Amusement Park. But that was different in that I called the shots more, whereas instead of roaming around the park as an ice cream man, I was Michael Karras. I was in the costume that I wanted to be in and the shows were 20 minutes and 90 percent music juggling to music. I saw those routines. You had those on YouTube. Right. So I did that for a summer and then I was like, all right, that's it. I'm like, I'm in New York full time. So I'd say like basically starting in 2010 is when I really just sort of switched to what my career is now, which is a complete hodgepodge of insanity. (laughs) Right. Because you work with several different groups, like not just your solo, but uh, playing by air. I work with Playing by Air, I work with Perfect Catch, which is Jen Slaw and me, and then I also do my solo work. I had a stint with the Flying Karamazov Brothers when they were off-Broadway, but that was, you know, it was fun, but it was sort of short-lived. Um, wasn't really my style. You were doing uh, one of their shows, then? They, they fit you into one of their shows? Exactly. They were sort of trying to franchise out a little bit, because they had a lot of gigs at the time, so. I can't they, imagine you with facial hair. Were you one of the few Karamazovs with no facial hair, or did you grow a... No, I, I was one of the few Karamazovs without facial hair. Rod was the original, I believe. Right. I don't think Rod has ever had facial hair. What's, Ron, um, what's Ron's last name? I don't know him. Rod Kimball. Oh, Rod. Yeah, I know. Rod, I said yeah. Ron. Yeah, Rod Kimball. Okay. So it wasn't necessarily a requirement that you had to have a beard or 
No, no, I, I would not have wanted a beard. <laughs> yeah, um, I yeah, I was the I was the clean cut. What was your um, Karamazov name? Karamazov. It was Kara Karamazov, like K A R A. Okay. I never really dug it, but that's <laughs> I mean Paul uh, Paul had naming rights. Right, right. So. They had run out of names that are actually in the book by Dostoevsky. Okay. And that was one of the rules is like you had to be named something from the book, but they ran out of names, so they just like took my last name and chopped off the S. Okay. So so how do you how do you manage all these different let's talk about playing by air a little bit. That's a group based mm -hmm. out of Nashville still or Yeah, I mean we, we say Nashville because two thirds of the, the main company are based out of Nashville. Ted and Jacob, Jacob Weiss and mm -hmm. Ted Joblin. Yeah, we've done a lot of incredible things. Like we focus on performing arts centers, a little bit of cruise shipping, although that's changing. The just the style of cruise shipping is changing to more solo acts and and corporate events. That's sort of what we focus on. So more high end stuff. So how do you work your availability? Like, is it something where you prioritize that you'll be available for those type of gigs over solo gigs, or or if you're doing a run with Jen? And they, a gig comes up for playing by air. Are they able to replace you, or how does that work? No, I mean it's it's just all about communication, and okay. that's we've just focused on that very highly. So, pretty much, I I book my solo stuff on my own, and then uh, if something, uh, it's all on a Google Calendar that's shared between all right. of us. Yeah, so Google we can account. all look at each we can all look at each other's conflicts and so forth. And so even when I'm on the phone with a client for something solo, I can look at my Google Calendar and be like, oh, there's a potential for a playing by air thing. So right. let me get back to you, client. I call Jacob. Hey, is this okay? You know, and, and we, we all understand that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So sure. we, we compare notes and, and, and it, honestly, we have such great communication that so far it hasn't been an issue sort of juggling all the different projects. And let's send out a congratulations to Jacob. I hear he just got engaged. Is that right? He did. Congratulations, <laughs> Jacob and Joy. Yeah. yeah. Power couple. Yeah, I like your act. I, I've seen it a couple of times, the playing by air. Very theatrical, once again. Uh, uh, has sort of a motif mm -hmm. of the musical uh, ideas and very worthwhile seeing. And hopefully people will be able to, uh, to check. Do you guys have a website, a playing by air website? Yeah, playingbyair.com. Okay, so people check that out. And now, uh, you, now the show you do with Jen Slaw is, once again, more of a, a play. Yeah, that was sort of my goal. Um, sort of my overarching goal, my pipe dream, if you will, is to have a long-running juggling show in New York City that is not a cruise ship-style uh, right. show. Basically, a show like Playing by Air or Perfect Catch, where there isn't uh, any talking, where it's strictly a, a musical-based juggling show that, like Stomp, which Stomp has no talking, Blue Man right. Group has no talking, so there is a market for these shows. You just have to sort of find what connects with an audience. So my pipe dream is to have a show like that that can run for 10 years or so, even if you have to switch the jugglers out at some point, but that people know is sort of like a, a staple, right? Stomp and Blue Man Group, those are staples in New York. They're they're both down in the East Village, and uh, they've always been there. They always will. And people for looking something a little bit more, it, it's sort of like a textbook off-Broadway, right? It's a little kooky. It's a little weird, but at the same time, it's like marketable kooky and like right. high-end weird. So they found a way. They found a way to to make sort of weird theater mainstream, and I really applaud them for that. So, but no one has done that with juggling in 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 New York, you know. And touring touring is great, you know. There've certainly sure. been a, great companies like Laser Vaudeville, for example, that have a juggling show that tours, but not not like a a, a sit down show. 
Because I love New York, and I love traveling, too, but I'd like to have something consistent in New York that I could do and be proud of on a daily basis. Do you have a run of that coming up in New York now? Or what? what where, bring us up to date today. So what's going on in the future? What's going on now for Michael Karras? Well, right now, uh, we Perfect Catch, we just finished up doing a summer stage uh, production in, in New York. So we had, it was sort of like a one-off, but 2,000 people came. It's this oh, really nice. sort of cool circus festival in New York called Summer Stage Circus. Um, it's through Circus Now. And uh, they pick a few different companies to present their work. So we did sort of a shorter version um, of the full hour-long show. But that was really cool. That was a really uh, fun opportunity for Perfect Catch. We're sort of figuring out what our next move is because the theater that housed our production for a few seasons decided to focus more on its bed and breakfast component, which mm. understandably is is uh, more lucrative. Okay. Um, I never so, heard of a theater with a bed and breakfast component, but... Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. It's like an old historic building on Canal Street. They have a theater... In, on the first floor, and then a bed and breakfast upstairs. Oh, I see. It's sort of combined. It's not like a theater thing where the, you have bed and breakfast and theater. It's, it's, yeah. it's The space has both. Instead of breakfast, you get a show. I got you. Right, right, um, right. They also were affected by Hurricane Sandy, so it's been sort of tough getting the theater back up to square. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we, we did a touring. We toured in Philadelphia, Jen and I, which was good. It was fun. But again, it's like not really what I want necessarily. Again, I enjoy touring, but producing isn't my... Sure, most... selling tickets, moving from yeah, place to place. Yeah, selling tickets, moving stuff. It's like it gets really boring. Um, yeah, the travel. And, and not at all what I want to do. At the same time, it's too expensive to to sort of, uh, what's the word, delineate or to out, outsource. So, right. So at this point, I think Perfect Catch uh, and Playing Bay are basically are, are focused on not producing our own stuff, but if you want to buy our show... Right. By all means, buy our show. And uh, otherwise, I think Perfect Catch would be more focused on like a longer New York run or even just like a, a, a month-long run at a theater in New York. Now, what about this? Uh, let's let's finish up with uh, Huggling. Mm-hmm. You're a big huggler. How did that come about? And, and tell people what Huggling is. Well, Huggling is simply hugging plus juggling. We figured if people can jog and juggle, then you can certainly hug and juggle. That's hard to say. Um <laughs> That was, a, that was a difficult sentence. But huggling, it's, it's a silly idea. It's basically just hugging someone and juggling behind their back. Right. So it, uh, it's just a cascade while hugging someone. But it's, it was in a way, it was kind of the basis for Perfect Catch. That idea combined with some ideas and research I had done on just holding someone's hand and sharing a cascade, those are sort of the images that sort of culminated in Perfect Catch. So I'd had a few, a few ideas that I thought, while I'm certainly an equal opportunity person, I thought holding hands with Jacob or Ted at a performing arts center might look a little strange. So, right. so I called up Jen and said, uh, hey, Jen, you know, let's try this uh, sort of romantic juggling idea, holding hands, huggling, all those sorts of things. And she liked it. And I'm like, our solar routines kind of fit in this framework of a story. Maybe we could turn it into sort of a theatrical narrative of a show. Uh, so I like, to, I like to tell people that they're they're coming to see a musical, a romantic musical comedy told through juggling in the same way that you can tell the story of, you can tell the same story through opera or through dance or through theater or through juggling. Well, that's what makes you the theatrical juggler. There you go. I think that, that brings us to the end of our podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to uh, talk about the New York scene and about your experiences mm-hmm. uh, in theater and juggling. Thanks again, Michael Karras. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for joining me. In my conversation with Michael Karras, 
as Drop Everything Podcast Number 7 comes to a finish. Let's thank our sponsors, the International Juggling Association, also known by the initials IJA. What a coincidence. IJA stands for International Juggling Association. You can check them out at juggle.org. And don't forget, all of our podcasts are available through the eJuggle section on the website. A big huggle goes out to my engineer, my wife, Karen Holzman, for doing great work on both the audio and video versions of this podcast. Make sure to check out the YouTube video. You'll see all the great slides she adds to add visual appeal to the Drop Everything podcast. A big thanks also to our new sponsor, Al Plotkin. Al Plotkin's a great videographer, does all my promotional videos. You can find out more about his services at festivalvideos.tripod.com. Also, if you're interested in sponsoring an upcoming podcast, you can always reach me at danjuggle at gmail.com. Well, thanks again for listening. Now, once again, after the podcast will be the sound of silence. So, drop everything except when you're juggling, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Good day, America.